I'm Michelle Sims, and this is The Beauty in the Mess, a community where people who crave a shift in mindset, personal growth, and connection to like-minded people come together to start rewriting their stories. Through engaging, honest, and insightful conversations, the show will help you embrace the mess to recognize the meanings and the lessons it holds and discover its hidden treasures to help you start making a mindset shift. Let's listen, learn, and reclaim who we were meant to be. Hi, friend. Welcome to The Beauty in the Mess. For this episode, I'm very excited to welcome Darcy Warden to the show. Darcy is a life and wellness coach. She works with people typically in their midlife years who are experiencing a life or career transition. She not only helps people navigate transitions, though, but she also helps them find their purpose, tap into their wisdom so that they can live an authentic life. Hi, I'm Michelle Sims, your host. I'm just a regular person who, along with my family, have had our share of messes that we too have had to overcome. Along the way, I got curious as to how others get through their messes and even triumph over them. Maybe there's a better way, a faster way. Maybe we can accelerate our journeys by learning from someone else. That started my pursuit. I think we can all learn from each other through the sharing of our experiences, lessons, and knowledge. So join me for episode 49 of The Beauty in the Mess called Becoming Visible with Darcy Warden. She has several certifications, including life coach, health and wellness coach, yoga therapist, yoga instructor, and group fitness instructor. She studied healing trauma and how the nervous system works. Her message is that you are exactly where you're meant to be. And her path wasn't always straight. At times, she didn't know exactly where she was headed, but she kept going. And she said, you may not know what's next, and life may feel a little scary and uncertain, but that's okay. Amazing change is ahead for you. Connect, listen, trust, take action. She says, dream big and go for it. After all, midlife isn't halfway over. It's just getting started. When Darcy isn't coaching, you will find her in Bozeman, Montana with her two huskies. She's not only a dog mom, but she has a son whom she is very proud of and who is spreading his wings out in the world. So without further ado, let's dive right into today's conversation. Hi, Darcy. Welcome to the Beauty and the Mess. I'm so glad to have you with me today. Oh, thank you, Michelle. It's a pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you. Now, I know you're a very successful life and health and wellness coach, among many other things. But before we get into that, I was wondering if you might want to tell us some of your background, like what led you to become this life coach, this health and wellness coach? I appreciate that question because it really kind of goes along with the name of your podcast. It's, it was kind of a, a, a long road in terms of me really pursuing my own mental health, physical health, and really feeling into who I am as a person. And so that began with I worked for many, many years in the nonprofit conservation world and learned a lot about myself there, but really learned that my own health and wellness and knowing who I am to the core of myself was really important. It started through the physical aspect of that first. So I became a certified fitness instructor and I was leading classes and I realized that there was more to be done there. So then I went a little bit deeper and I became a certified yoga instructor and yoga therapist saw a lot of deep work taking place there for myself and for the people that I was working with. But there was this one piece that was missing in terms of 
really getting clear on what people wanted and being able to create some goals and ground themselves in their own values and kind of create their North Star to keep them on track. So I saw a lot of like kind of just a holding pattern. There were some areas that were improving, but I saw potential for so much more. And I had experienced that as well with my own coaches and my own training. So then I moved into the life coaching, health and wellness coaching arena. And now I combine all of these certifications and teachings that I've gathered over the years and kind of just really created this holistic coaching embodied approach to moving towards what we really want to do and who we are and shine in the unique ways that we were meant to shine. That's wonderful. I, I did find it very interesting because a lot of my journey, I've been taught to kind of focus on the subconscious mind and that how the subconscious mind drives us to do so many things. But I've noticed that you focus more, or it seems like you can correct me, but it seems like you focus on listening to the body Yes. and what the body's telling you. So can you explain that a little bit? Like, yeah, yeah. And that is such a, it's an interesting shift. And I do think the subconscious mind is a little bit connected to that body work that I help people drop into because our thinking mind can go and go and go and it rolls and, and a lot of times it can spiral. And when we work with the body, it actually quiets that talking and that spiral that we can get into. And then the subconscious or the inner wisdom has room to show up and it takes a little bit longer for that piece to come about. So that work really is movement and breath and being quiet and just being still and focusing, actually taking that really intentional piece of placing your attention onto your body, whatever sensations there may be, whether it's discomfort or comfort or openness, it doesn't really it just depends on the client. But then what happens is there's this kind of like aha moments that take place for people. And then we take those aha moments and apply them to how does that apply to life? Like what's happening in life and how do you want to move forward with that so that this realization can actually be something that you put into a daily practice somehow so that we can move into that that direction. So it's it's different work in terms of less there's talking for sure in my coaching but there'll be moments of quiet and feeling into the body and just letting whatever's coming up come up and along with my powerful questions right so there's a combination of things going on there right and i know you help people shift like especially during midlife right when we have the big transformation as i call it yes so would you want to talk about that for, for a moment? Yeah, well, I'm 50, so I'm right in the, the bits of it, right? So what I'm really kind of like a dog with a bone about is that midlife is that time where it's not where life is halfway over. 
It is where life is just getting good. And there can be some places. So we've, depending on your, your journey, we've had kids or our career or partner, and then some major life events have probably taken place. Maybe there'd be a death of, a, of someone who's close to us, a change of career, like all these big transitions are taking place. And in those moments, we are really questioning ourselves, like, what am I doing now? How do I want to actually contribute to the world? And how can I, I want to live where I'm happy, right? There's like this desire to have meaning and to feel joy and also to shed some of the ways in which we might move through the world that no longer serve us, like climbing the corporate ladder or having more control maybe than we think we like control is a very it's a perception it's not a reality we actually don't have much control other than how we respond and think but giving giving up some control like letting our kids live their lives or recognizing that this job isn't good for me anymore or shifting in relationships and so we get to actually blossom in a way that we don't as we're moving through kind of our earlier adulthood and so we take all these lessons learned life lessons experiences heartbreaks and joys and the whole thing and then we can move into how do i leverage all this amazing material that i am and become more of myself and i have found that this time is a time of really focusing on health, of focusing on relationships, of focusing on where we wanna live and how we wanna be in our friendships and our partnerships. And the, the most important part is how I wanna be with myself. And some of the things that I hear from my clients that I didn't expect is that when we are in our coaching relationship and they've progressed maybe through a year or a year and a half of coaching, they're telling me how much they like themselves. Oh, well, that's neat. How much they trust themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh God, that just makes my heart so happy. Um, because if we could all walk around the world, liking ourselves and trusting ourselves, I think it would be a different place. Absolutely. So do you find that people are, are resistant to give up whatever their old identity is? Or do you, or by the time they come to you, they're ready to shed that identity? What do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of times people don't even know they're hanging on to an old identity. Right. So without that being in the forefront of their mind, I think they are ready to shed something, something that no longer works for them. A great example is people pleasing, right. especially with the women that I work with, right? This just not working anymore. <laughs> I think every woman just about goes through that. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. I don't have to say yes to everything. I don't have to take care of everybody. And honestly, having trust in the fact that they can take care of themselves is a huge gift. And so it's a, it's kind of a reframe yeah of okay people pleasing being the example 
So there's, there's that part, but then what do I look like if I'm not a people pleaser? Right. Will people like me? Yeah. Will people like me? Will I even know myself anymore? How do I move through the world like that? So that's what we work on. But coming back to the original question of, are they coming because they want to shed? I think they're wanting to shift. And along with that shift, they're recognizing what doesn't work for them anymore. And then they begin to shed it. And that's, that's the progression that I'm seeing with my clients. And one of the things, one of my favorite examples, especially for women, and I've been there, I've, I've done this myself. Like there's the aspirational clothing that's in my closet and those, those jeans that have been sitting there for a while or a pair of slacks or a dress or something. And I finally got to the point where I just came to peace that as a 50 year old and the way my body is changing, it's, it's natural and I'm taking care of myself and I'm eating, I'm eating right and I'm exercising, but my body is actually never going to fit in those pair of jeans. And so it's a very tangible example of, I'm going to let those jeans go. I'm going to take them out of my closet and really embrace who I am right now and not struggle not battle with myself anymore and just like kind of offer myself some grace and gratitude and thank myself for being thank my body for getting me up to 50 years it's like oh my gosh what a gift to be able to live and give and and let go of the battle of who i think i should what i think i should look like or so those are the things that I think we hang on to are those past identities where we're maybe stronger and we can be really strong in midlife. We just have to be consistent and work at it. And like in our earlier adulthood, we could I'd be like, oh, I need to lose 10 pounds. No problem. Next week. It's not like that anymore. So we have to be consistent and committed to our health and wellness and to our mental health and wellness as well. And so that means looking forward of who do I want to be? How do I want to feel? Because that person in her 30s and 20s, she's she's behind me now. So what do you tell the client that knows that they don't want to be their old identity, but they really don't know where they're headed? Yeah, so that's the work where we really take a deep dive into values because that's where a lot of that's that's where it becomes more clear what people care about and so we do the values dive we even do some like values statements and mission statements so they have my clients have their own mission statement so that they can come back to that and that helps them turn towards themselves but also towards the future and recognizing that the values that they had years ago, they no longer align and that's okay. And that's kind of the first piece where we really start to shine the light on what matters. And then we do some of the more of like the deeper work in terms of going in and listening to the body and feeling into the sensations because a lot of times we're feeling pain in certain areas and we might be stiff, we might be 
kind of stuck in a mental thought. And so that values work, the mission statement work, that all helps kind of kind of like start tapping at it and breaking it up because it's not like we can just say, okay, that doesn't serve me anymore. It's not going to impact me anymore. Right. I wish it worked like that, right? But no one would need a coach if that were the case, right? <laughs> <laughs> so do you do you think some of the problem is that we all feel like we are supposed to have a purpose in life and if we don't know what that purpose is or maybe that purpose has changed or you know I, I mean I, I feel like sometimes it throws us off course because a lot of us don't know what our purpose in life is supposed to be we haven't figured yeah. it out yet but you feel like you should have already figured yeah, it out. I, yes you know? I appreciate that and and that's where I feel like I'm a great <laughs> example of I'm still figuring it out and and the truth of, of the matter is, is it's messy. It's really messy shifting into something new and, and feeling grounded in your purpose. And, and some people may never feel fully grounded in their purpose, but what we look for is how are you feeling? What are your thoughts? because those are huge indicators of whether you are on course or not. What gets you excited? And what, what do you have strong reactions to, whether they're positive reactions or negative reactions? And that's also a clue as to, oh, okay, this, I'm having a strong reaction. This matters to me. Justice and equity matters or feeling like I'm contributing in the world matters. So if I'm doing a job where I'm not feeling like I'm contributing, I'll probably feel dissatisfied with life. And it's and then it gets messy because then we have to make a change. Of if it's not this, then what is it? And the whole world opens up and it's it can be a little overwhelming. And so with my work with my clients, we work on creating a container of with the values of what really matters feeling into does that resonate so there's an a, there's an actual feeling of okay this does resonate and then we go through options right so i take the whole world overwhelm and really help folks move down into a smaller container where there's options that won't blow up someone's life right because we just we don't want to blow up people's lives right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I noticed that you you touch on one subject that really resonated with me but it's the idea of feeling invisible and it's like no matter whether you're a big contributor at work or a small contributor but you just feel like it doesn't matter if you're there or not you know what I mean that I do I do so that really resonated. So if you could talk about that for a minute, it would be great. Yeah. Invisibility is, oh, it's part of our society, right? So it's something that as we age and I feel like we know more, we have more to offer, but we're not seen that way. And even when we contribute in big ways, we're not being acknowledged for it. Why is that though? Why do people treat other people that way? I think it's a really good question. Honestly, I haven't narrowed down like one specific reason, but I, 
but without going too far out on a limb right now, but I'm going to go out on this limb, especially for women. We're seeing as we age that we don't have as much to contribute. And I really believe that that has to do with our patriarchal society. So that historically men have run the show, they're the decision makers, even as they age, right? They're still in those positions where they're making the calls. And as women are growing older, less attractive, less youthful, we tend to be less interesting to the patriarchal society. And so I am kind of, again, this is kind of my mission in the work that I do is to reframe aging in this society. And that instead of like, again, I'll take myself as the example, because I've been there so many times, instead of getting angry about feeling invisible, whether it was in the workplace or even in a party or at the in line at the coffee store. It's so interesting where these things pop up. I lean in and I make myself seen and I, I have made the decision that I'm no longer going to be a victim of invisibility. I'm actually going to place myself in the spotlight just a little bit more and not to take up space space that's not intended to be for me, but to take up the space that is intended for me, not to shrink back. And, and I feel like the work that we have to do as a collective, especially as women in our midlife, is to lean in and show up more and more. And it's, it's a bit exhausting. And I do have probably not, I'm not all rainbows and butterflies about it all the time, but I'm also working within the reality, right? And the reality is I need to show up even more. But the other thing that I would say too about this is that the shine that we have from within is really what helps us be seen. And I wonder if a lot of us go ahead and let ourselves dim out as we get older. And I'm not saying that this is anybody's fault. I'm just wondering if this is how our current society has kind of trained us as we've moved along in our lifespan. And I'm now in the place where I'm like, no, nope, I am not dimming my light. I am showing up and I'm gonna show up for my friends. I'm gonna show up for everybody around me and I'm gonna shine bright, which takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work because there's inner work that takes place with that. Uh, yeah, I can see that for sure. It's like I, I work in a very male dominated field. And so as many times it's all men and me or all men and me and one other woman clear across the room. Uh, but you notice you can say something and it's like you didn't even speak. And then the guy beside you can repeat what you just said almost word for word. And he's a genius. <laughs> you just think, oh my gosh, are you for real? I mean, it's just it's mind boggling. It really is. Yeah, it is. But along those same lines, I remember taking a course and it was through work. I can't remember what it was called, but I remember that our instructor was talking to us about how women are taught to take up as little space as possible. So like when you stand, you have your arms down at your side, your feet are together. You're just taking up this tiny little space where men, they have their arms out, hands on their hips and 
feet apart and they're taking up as much space as possible. And I think it's partly a societal thing where we're taught to be in the background, to, to be the support, to be less than, and we assume that role, maybe even subconsciously in some ways. Yeah. And, and I will say from experience that when we do show up, like say, I, I can really relate to the room that you just described. And even for my friends who are, you know, 15 years younger than me, who are in that same room, it happens to them too, my female friends. Right. So there was a point where, again, I was like, nope, I am showing up. Well, that did not go over well. So, (laughs) so there can be consequences as well. And for, so we really, yeah, it's a tough one. It really is because there were men in the room who were not pleased about a woman taking a strong stand, having a stronger voice, having strong ideas. And the work environment came very uncomfortable, became uncomfortable. And, and so I caution, I'm not, I don't want to tell everyone to basically put their jobs at risk, but what happened for me was I was able to see that this job was no longer for me. Like it just wasn't my place anymore. And became super clear when I started really showing up in meetings and having real dialogue about real issues in the workplace. So there's some risk, definitely. Yeah, I would agree with that because I don't think it's taken well where I'm at for a woman to be assertive or the men can be loud, they can cuss, they can do whatever they want to do. And it's yay, raw, good for you. But if a woman not, I don't cuss in meetings or whatever. But if, if you try to be assertive, they don't like it. <laughs> no, no, you don't. So I, I was thinking exactly what you just said. Sometimes I think you have to remove yourself from that, if you're able to, from that situation and find a different, because it's just the way it's always been and they like it that way. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, yeah. And again, I come back to, it's just very patriarchal in I compare it to that that analogy of the fish that's swimming in the water and somebody's or like I forget what it is maybe it's a scuba diver or something comes to the fish and says hey how's the water and the fish is like what's water right has no idea right that they're in it and I feel like our patriarchal society is a bit like that for men they just have no idea I could agree with that yeah <laughs> I mean, I'm not a man, but just watching how they interact, I, I, I feel like that's the case. for sure. Yeah. And to be fair, I don't know if I think there's some, a lot of great men out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where, where, yeah. Yeah. I raised a son. Hopefully he will listen to this. I'll make sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> go. I have a wonderful son too. So and I have three wonderful girls, so I understand completely, but yeah, it's not. And I, I, these men are probably amazing men outside of that environment. I think it's a, it's kind of like a group mentality that once they get together in this situation, it's just the way they act. I don't know. Yeah. Group think. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big part of it mm-hmm. from what I observe. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that as we were talking earlier, as as far as listening to our bodies, I've read that you said that we can gain insight from that. 
how do we gain insight? And by listening to our bodies, I mean, it's got to be more than, oh, my knee hurts. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's really interesting. I I appreciate that question because it's like, what what the heck does that mean? Because the body is not actually like, hey, Darcy, uh, I have a message for you. But it's more about, and I'll just give an example because I feel like that's one of the easier ways to talk about this is when, like, so when I was in a yoga therapy training and I had someone working with me in a particular posture and I was holding it for a while and all of a sudden the tears just started to come. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there was a realization. So it was, it was like allowing the body to kind of show up and release whatever was happening there. And as the tears came and I was really present with them, I had this moment of, oh my God, I'm in my own way. No one else is stopping me. I'm in my own way. So here's that huge realization. And it was just truth, right? I couldn't deny it. I couldn't, I don't know where it came from, but it came from within. And it wasn't my mind telling me that. It was something much deeper. And so for transparency, that's when my journey really started to move towards quieting the mind and dropping into the body and allowing emotion but also allowing this awareness to come about. And so when we listen to the body, that's part of it. Although the other very real piece too, like you mentioned, listening to the knee. So if our knee is hurting, that's a moment to slow down and be like, wow, what, what's, what do I do during my day? what kind of activities, what kind of stress. And so we can kind of just do a little bit of an assessment and be like, okay, the knee is hurting, but maybe something's happening in my hip. Maybe something's happening in my shoulder. And to turn to find someone who is maybe more expert in the body and to be able to have those conversations and explore. So there's kind of that deeper listening letting something come up but there's also when my lower back is hurting i'll be like okay you're talking to me something's going on here what do i need to do and then i'll take 20 minutes and stretch because i just need to create space in my body so there's these immediate signals but then there's the deeper work that that takes place also so do you think that the emotion you release like i've read a lot of people feel like the body stores trauma over the years yeah and do you think It's something like that, where it was just a release of stored emotion, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's stored. And I I totally am on board with the book, The Body Keeps the Score, where, you know, uh, he talks about his the author's name is completely escaping me right now. But um, he talks about trauma being stored in the body. And I would even take it a step further that experiences are stored in the body and and I think our, our conversation around invisibility is a really good example of what was happening for me in that moment. Um, people pleasing, shrinking back, invisibility, 
all these things I was accepting as who I was were false. And so when I was able to maintain that posture and there was an opening that took place, there was a recognition that I was shrinking back. No one was asking me to do that. I was people pleasing. No one was asking me to do that. I was trained to do it, right? but there was no explicit request. And so that realization for me was I'm getting in my own way. How do I not do that anymore? That was a whole nother ball of wax right there. Right. But right. So along with the, uh, kind of like the trapped emotions, but even more than that, are you a believer in meditation? Oh, huge. Yeah. Yeah. And there's much like yoga meditation. There's a whole, like this huge menu to choose from of different types of meditation and different types of yoga. And and so the meditation that I really like to use for myself is mindfulness meditation. And so the goal for mindfulness meditation is to be aware of our thoughts and because our thoughts can run away with us. If we, if we check ourselves most of the day, our thoughts are just kind of off on their own train ride and we're on for, we're there for the ride, but mindfulness meditation brings us back and there is a real intention of seeing the thoughts and not connecting to them. And practicing not getting pulled away so then in everyday life we have the resilience and the ability to not get pulled into a reaction because we're practicing being aware of our thoughts in the meditation and so when i talk to people about meditation it's not a path to create peace initially. Initially, it's going to be really challenging. It might be slightly painful physically and mentally. And that's when we just begin because any practice is challenging when we first start. But a lot of people will be like, Oh, my I, I think too much. I can't do meditation. And I'm like, you are the perfect candidate like that is you are the person for this. Because then we can actually have a little bit more access to our internal ability to resource ourselves rather than having outside influences having to resource us because that won't work like whether we're looking for a job to fill us or a relationship to fill us meditation is the path to internally resourcing ourselves and being able to move through any number of different situations and still maintain a level of center. So when you say by not connecting to the emotion, so are you saying like in meditation, when the thought comes up that you would normally react to say with fear or anger that you say, Oh, okay. When I'm feeling this and I want to lash out at somebody, it's really because I'm just afraid and I'm trying to project yeah that i'm not afraid or i don't know fear is definitely a part of it and with that fear because we may even be justifying a position we're protecting ourselves in some way when we're reacting and arguing and fear is the underlying 
emotion there. And so it is a really powerful way to slowly pull those layers back and allow ourselves to be a little bit more vulnerable without the fear of, I think our nervous system immediately is like, you're going to die, right? And we're not going to die. And so meditation helps us slowly work with that. I'm not going to die. I can feel these strong emotions. I can feel myself reacting. I now want to bring in choice into my world and I'm not going to die. And this all interacts with the nervous system, with our thoughts and our emotions and our physical health. So the more that we're able to move through the world without all this protection and arguing and and defending, we're able to soften and the body can soften. And then we actually feel stronger and healthier in our body when we move through that. So is the meditation kind of like practicing? I mean, in a way like you're, yeah. So the next time something like that happens, you say, okay, I feel this happening, but I'm, I'm choosing to react differently. Yeah. And it takes a long time. I'm sure it does. (laughs) Yeah. This is not something where you sit down for a week and a problem solved. This is a, a lifelong practice because as with anything, the more we practice, the more there is to discover. And so we, we discover more and more and more about ourselves and the practice gets deeper and deeper. So it's, with meditation, there is nothing to achieve because we will always be in the practice, no matter where you are in it. So do you feel like taking care of yourself in this way with the yoga and the meditation and trying to listen to your body is kind of uh, what I'm perceiving at least is it's kind of a showing yourself self-love, so to speak. Oh. And and many of us don't take the time to do that in any way, shape, or form. I you you nailed it. Like that's it. That's exactly it. And when we can show ourselves self-love, I mean, how many of us out there, and I I was a pro at self-loathing earlier in my life, right? Like I had that nailed and then gradually shifted to self-love and it's amazing how much compassion I have for others and how much compassion I have for myself. It makes life a lot easier And everything I do now, whether it's in my business or it's taking care of the house or it's something for my son, everything is an act of love. That's neat. Yeah. Because like when you're in that self-loathing pattern, it's almost easier in my experience it's it's easier to love other people and to show them love than to show yourself love which is backwards of what it should be probably but yeah did you find that with the background that you had that it was easier to show other people love and is that the people pleasing part that we're trying to give them the love that we can't give ourselves 100 yeah yeah absolutely i mean how many terrible relationships was i in because i wasn't able to love myself and I was seeking it from others. And I, again, I kind of, maybe, I don't know if it's all that different between men and women. It may not be, I think it shows up differently 
with men and women, honestly, but being able to turn toward ourselves and be kind to ourselves like we would to our best friend is extremely challenging for so many people and and through the work it's so necessary to do that work because until we can love ourselves and trust ourselves and know that we're good no matter what we can make mistakes but it doesn't change that we are still fundamentally good and until we can know that for ourselves the things that we experience as challenges in our daily lives, we they will continue. And and I'm a work in progress. I'm not saying I've completely arrived yet, but I will say that a lot of the things that I struggled with in the past, I do not struggle with anymore. I struggle with different things now. And that shows progress. So it's it's yeah, it's probably one of the most important areas that we can work on for ourselves. Do you think one of the reasons it is so challenging is we're kind of conditioned that, to believe that it's selfish? Yeah. Because that's what I feel like. Yeah. I think we, especially as women, and I will come back to that, is that we are conditioned to think of others first and to take care of others first. And to the point where we are so burnt out that it's harmful for us. And, and I, again, it's a reconditioning, it's a reframing and taking control of who is it that I'm going to be in this world. And it's much like meditation. This is a process. Like this is a shedding that takes time. And because as we shed, we're going to feel tender and vulnerable because there's a new shape that we're taking. And so we have to be really kind to ourselves while we're moving through that because it's, again, it's messy. And that's one of the, the things that I love working with people. Part of my tag tagline or the ways in which I talk to people is I will help you get through that messy middle because it's uncomfortable and tender. I can see that. Yeah. So I know you talk about taking action also. And as a part of taking the action, I mean, a lot of us, I think, feel like we're so afraid we're going to get something wrong that we get paralysis, right? We're afraid to do anything because we might might be wrong. Yeah. But if you take action, even if it's wrong, at least that wasn't it. <laughs> and you redirect right away, right? Yeah. Yeah. To yeah, absolutely. So the the part of taking action that I really, again, it's a reframe. We can't grow without making mistakes. Like it's just not going to happen. So taking action and learning what works and what doesn't is part of that growth path. And it's not a failure. So if we get it wrong, we're helping ourselves to get it right later on and unfortunately we have to make those mistakes like i wish it weren't so but <laughs> why do you think we're all so afraid to make those mistakes or to admit that we failed at something what is that again a conditioning by society or i do believe so i think we're a striving society um and if you really look at what 
what's happening on social media right now. Everyone's putting their best foot forward. Life is amazing. We're all so successful and happy. And um, there is a real fear to being seen as not getting it right. And there's a level of perfectionism that is the overlying kind of blanket on all of this. So if we don't want to put anything out there till it's perfect. We don't want anyone to see this until it's right. And the, the, the reality is, is there's no such thing as perfect and all the way right. And right. yeah, so I do think it's a societal thing. I think, again, we're trained in it. Media, even long before social media was a thing, media was already showing that to us, whether it's through television or newspaper, whatever the magazines might be. But that's the other thing that I'm a dog with a bone about is that we have to let go of our perfectionism. We have to be willing to get it wrong in front of people and know that honestly, what they think doesn't really matter, which is one of the hardest things in, in the whole world, but it really doesn't matter. And the only way for us to know ourselves is to be challenged and to stumble and to get back up again. Just like a baby when they're learning how to walk and they try and try and try and they fall and they try and they fall. They, I mean, babies who are learning how to walk are my heroes because they show me over and over again not to give up, that I am going to get up and walk because I was meant to. I am made for this and nothing's going to stop me from walking. And so I use that for myself. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fall down, but I'm going to get up because I'm made for this. Yeah. And I, but I think some of the, the fear, like we were talking about the midlife thing with a baby, when they fall, everybody wants to help or they, as long as they're okay, it was cute. It was funny. Yeah. 50 year old doesn't get that same response. So I, I think that's part of the conditioning that we fall into and how do you take somebody who's in their fifties or sixties or whatever, forties, whatever phase they're in that have been conditioned for so many decades and get them to, to flip it. I mean, that's, we take tiny steps. They're tiny steps. So I'm a big believer in tiny steps over time creates big change. And in that tiny, like it could be something that feels a little risky. It might be talking to the boss or it might be going out into a social situation where you don't know someone or joining a group, but something little that pushes us just enough so that we don't fall flat on our face. Right. We might we might stumble a little bit, but we're it's like tripping on like a curb or something and we can catch our balance and keep going and so they're teeny tiny steps they're consistent and they are over time. And much like when we're working out or learning a new exercise, the classic is if I'm going to bench press, I'm not going to start with 200 pound weights on either side of that bench press. I'm going to start with the bar or maybe even something less. So we're building up our strength. We're building up our resilience and that's how we do it. And it can be so challenging because we know where we want to go, 
a lot of like there I have a couple clients they know where they want to go and they're they're really struggling with these small steps in order to get them there they want to take that leapfrog and just be there and it it won't stick they'll fall flat on their face it's not going to work so we work on these just a little bit over time do you feel like those tiny steps help breed the motivation that they need because yeah they're constantly seeing maybe tiny successes but it's still a success it's still yeah achieved something yeah it builds confidence it builds trust in themselves to be able to keep going it builds resilience and but it takes time so that first couple months can be really frustrating because people want results and so we have to break down the little wins along the way that are getting them toward their results and it's so it's a it's not kind of like meditation it's not an easy path to create transformation and change in your life it's something to commit to and practice with and take small steps so that you can build the trust and confidence in yourself to continue so that when things get really hard or they get bigger, you can do it because you've already committed to three to six months of, of tiny steps and they're ready. They're ready at that point. Right. They, they want to change. Yeah. So do you believe talking about the midlife? transition you believe in ageism oh yeah i mean that people are discriminatory based on age i do yeah i do i've seen it and that i've seen it with my parents with my dad when he was getting ready to retire out Um, lots of younger faces were coming into the company and i think we see this in a lot of companies with ageism i think ageism is also connected with invisibility and women as we get older. And that is part of the diversity, equity, inclusion movement that I believe wholeheartedly in, and all the isms are in there. And ageism is is a big one when it comes to that. So that really is around self-awareness of what we believe about getting older what we believe about ourselves about getting older, but we what we also believe about other people getting older. And I've had family members as they grow older, they took on that ageism. I'm too old for this and I'm not gonna do that. And I'm really kind of like limiting themselves. And that, so ageism impacts not only us as individuals as how we think about ourselves but it also impacts how we see others and there's a lot of education that needs to come around that yeah because i like i said i work with a lot of men and i'm seeing men in their 60s that are very vibrant they're very knowledgeable i mean they have skills skill sets that you you can't even imagine and yet they're telling me that people perceive them as less than because of their age. I'm like, really? I mean, it's shocking for me. And I'm not trying to be to say that men have it any different than women, but I just with the skill sets they have, I'm shocked that people would factor their age in. I mean, because they're still going 100 mile an hour. I mean, it's just sad. Yeah. And then you think, man, is that what's coming (laughs) for the rest of us? Yeah. 
and when we think about it, 60 is actually fairly young. Exactly. I, I feel like I still have so much more to give. Yeah. So it's kind of daunting, put it that way. It is daunting. And I, I do, I, I really believe in the diversity, equity, inclusion movement and work many wonderful people doing that work out there for organizations. It's, it's definitely something that I would highly recommend any workplace bring in experts to come in and work with their teams and shift culture around that. Yeah. And I think with ageism, there's so much of it that people don't even realize that they're applying that bias towards other people. I really don't think they do. It's just something that's so programmed in people yeah. that they apply it. And even though it's illegal, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's in the, it's just there and they're, they're not even realizing that they're doing this to people. So that, I mean, I, I truly believe that a lot of them don't, don't know that they're doing it. Not aware. Yeah. I believe, I believe that too. I think you're absolutely right about that. And, and that's where it becomes so insidious. Exactly. Right. So how do we break that when people don't even know they're doing it? Yeah. And that's with all the isms, right? We all engage in the isms on some level without recognizing it. Oh, exactly. And I, I think, sadly, we do even more of it to ourselves. We, we, I had a episode where I talked about being in a box where you allow people to put you in this box. This is your identity. This is who you are. But really, it's not. I mean, you're so much more than that little box. Um, so much. Yeah. But it's hard to, to even get yourself to think outside of that box and that I'm more than this identity that I've allowed to be applied to me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite exercises is to have someone close their eyes and think of all the ways that they identify right? Whatever those may be, all the ways, and then all the ways that other people identify them, like whether it be their parents or friends or colleagues. And I said, okay, now take all of those labels and they're going to, they're going to drift. They're, they're going to lift away from you and they're drifting off and there's no more labels. There's no more identities. Who are you now? And it's such a powerful exercise because like, whoa, I'm anything I want to be. Like, who am I? Right? It's such a beautiful moment to recognize that these labels don't have to define us. Right. You really don't have to have a label. You can mold and change and shift as much as you want. Yes. But again, like you were talking before, so much of life is just how we perceive it. And it's, it's not, that's not the truth. That's not the end all be all, but that's what we, at the time, that's what we think for whatever reason. Yeah. So that's the path we head down. Absolutely. And our perceptions are incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. They feel like universal maxims and they're, they're not. <laughs> exactly. But trying, I mean, and I tell people this all the time, and it's kind of the same way with the perception, but it's like you can, if you're emotional about a subject, you can look at it logically and logically you should do this or you should do that. But when you put that emotional filter on it, it's completely different. And I feel like perceptions that same way, logically you can see it, but yet you have these 
perceptions that have kind of been programmed in you for lack of a better word your whole life and so it's so hard to to get even though you know better yeah you can't get past it or you don't allow yourself to get past it maybe that's and I think it's tough I mean because that programming I think programming is a really is the perfect word we're programmed from as children really really young we're programmed on what what to do and how to navigate the world how to be how to show up and that that programming is deep and so in order to kind of deprogram ourselves it takes a real strong commitment to getting vulnerable with ourselves and offering ourselves that self-love that we talked about yeah i think that's a hard one i really do yeah for a lot of people and i know it is for me and and i and i think if you have kind of a rough start in life it's even harder part of this podcast is I'm going to figure out what self-love is and 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 I do piece by piece I think I am figuring it out but a lot of it's just applying the same care that you would give even a stranger to yourself yeah for some reason like I said when you put that emotional filter on it it changes everything and getting past those emotions. I don't know if meditation helps with that or not. It can, it can actually one of the meditations. And I think this would be a, a, anybody who is listening or anyone you talk to about this, there's something called a meta meditation. Okay. And the, the practice of the meta meditation is to offer loving kindness to different people that you can think of. So someone close to you, someone that maybe is like you would run into at the grocery store, maybe that you don't know very well, like the person checking you out or something. So you can think of that person. And then you can think of someone who you have conflict with, and you offer them loving kindness. And then the, the last one is offering yourself loving kindness. Yeah. And so you practice offering loving kindness to someone close, someone neutral, someone challenging, and then yourself. And it's a, it's a really powerful practice no that sounds like it would be yeah sure I've seen meditations where you project like you put your puppy or something that you really love your child you you envision them in front of you and you feel the love you feel for that person and then you give that love to someone else or to the world as a whole or uh, I've seen those kind of meditations but which is similar but yet different yeah than what you're talking about I'll have to that out yeah yeah they're very powerful and the one where the part where you give that unconditional love to yourself is always the hardest one for most anybody right it's like these are these i can actually do that even this tough character i can still offer them some unconditional love but myself wow that is really challenging and so to it is. Yeah. Cause I haven't seen the meditation where you offer that back to yourself. That would be pretty amazing. I think. Yeah. And that we deserve it just as much as everybody else. Absolutely. Yeah. So are there any other modalities that you think are helpful besides meditation, like tapping or I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Tapping. Um, tapping is really powerful and again i do do tapping just for myself i'm not trained in tapping but um it's one of those pieces where a strong emotion can come up this is how i use it a strong emotion comes up 
and I'll just sit with it and I'll feel it and I'll like, I'll tap my shoulders or I'll tap my thighs and I'll just wait for it to move. And so what I really love about tapping is there's nothing to fix. There's nothing to think about. It's just tapping. It's this alternating movement on the body weight and you just kind of feel if this sensation so when we feel anxiety and we get tightness in the chest yeah or there might be yeah so that's a good example or deep sadness um maybe even a little anxiety or uh even a little depression where it gets heavy in the gut um those are times to tap and just be present with that emotion allowing the emotion to be there not pushing it off to the side tapping it through and just noticing how it shifts and more often than not it will soften yeah i've heard a lot about tapping but i'm not really sure and i know i mean i believe it does work i just don't understand how yet how it works yeah you know how it's tapping on the body and maybe it's just releasing that stored trauma or whatever like we were talking about earlier because mm-hmm. i do believe you store things up in your body and i think if you don't release then you start having physical ailments because it you've trapped that bad energy so to speak 100 <laughs> percent, it's blocked energy so whether it's good or bad i don't we don't even have to like qualify it that way but if it's blocked then it can cause problems. I would say one of the other modalities that I will turn to 100% is exercise. So exercise is the number one way to move the energy, to clear your thoughts. And I'm talking like getting the heart rate going. So maybe it's jumping jacks for 30 seconds, really strong, right? So it doesn't even have to, you don't have to go out and run five miles. You can just do some jumping jacks or you can go for a strong walk or go for a bike ride. And that exercise is just, it can change how you think, how you feel. Not every time, I don't wanna say anything's 100%, but a lot of the time. And feeling strong in our bodies is, that's how I started. Feeling strong in my body started giving me the confidence and the courage to try other things because I started to have some trust and faith in myself. That's awesome. Yeah. I I mean, we never really think of, of exercises. I mean, we think of it as healing physically, Yeah. but not as healing emotionally and mentally. So that's, that's a neat concept that it helps that much. Yeah. Well, I know we're edging on time and I want to respect your time, but is there anything we haven't talked about today that you want to make sure that we talk about, I don't know if you want to talk about your life coaching or wellness coaching. Sure. Yeah. So just with my life and wellness coaching, I think one of the things that I would just like to share is that I really believe that every single one of us is exactly where we're supposed to be right now. And so there's a tendency to maybe have some regret or I should be this the shoulds right we could fill in the blank on the shoulds should all over yourself right (laughs) 
You shit all over yourself, right? Stop shitting on yourself. So I believe that anyone that I work with, myself included, anyone I meet, we're all exactly where we are supposed to be. And then we have, in every moment, we have a choice. And that choice takes us to the next choice. And so it's really about being that intentional, present person for yourself and knowing and trusting that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. And that's how I approach all the work with my clients. There is nothing to fix. I don't fix people. I help them move into who they want to be, who they're meant to be, because today is the day to make it happen because they're here. And that's, I just, it's such joyful work for me to work with people. Yeah, it sounds exciting, actually. (laughs) I'm sure you get a great sense of, I don't know, just, I would think happiness, just helping someone get past like well, like we talked about shedding that old identity or whatever they're trying to work through. Yeah. Great feeling. It is. It's, there's a lot of um, just deep joy in the work that I do with people. Cause I love people. I love them. We're just such amazing creatures. Fascinating. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on? I know we talked about a lot. <laughs> Yeah, we did. We talked about such good stuff. No, I think we covered a lot of great ground here. So I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) I appreciate you. I appreciate all your wisdom that you brought today. And well, thank you. As we wrap up today's episode, I hope Darcy sharing her journey, experience and wisdom has helped you in some way. There is so much wisdom packed in this episode. It's always hard to pull out just a few things. However, I I think the main takeaway for me is when Darcy talked about how when a lot of us hit midlife, we start to dim out our lights because we think that's what society expects us to do, when really we should just be doing the opposite. We have earned the right to shine. So let's shine on, folks. Something else Darcy spoke about is how we are all right where we're meant to be. And you have been on this particular journey. You have experienced what you have. You've shown up in the way you were supposed to, etc. Every choice has led to the next choice. So we just have to be intentional with our choices. So what stood out to you in this episode? I'd love to hear from you. As always, I hope this episode helps at least one person. And with that, I hope you have a blessed week, my friend. Thank you for listening to The Beauty in the Mess. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas you would like to hear about, or you think you would be a great guest on the show, you can reach me directly at thebeautyinthemess.com. Thanks for listening.